Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Scott. He's an interesting guest that does a little bit of investing with distressed assets. Scott, thanks for being back on the podcast, or thanks for being on, on the podcast. Hey, Josh, honored to be here today. Definitely excited to, uh, to provide some value to your audience out there as best I can for you. Yeah. Scott Carson, you uh, tell the audience who you're with, what you do, a um, little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm the... Austin, Texas is home, but I buy uh, real estate all across the country. As you introduced me, I kind of, I buy and sell and invest in distressed mortgages. I've been doing it for over a dozen years. Actually got started back in 2007 before the past uh, great recession, as we like to call it. So for the last dozen plus years, I've been doing across the country as the note guy as I buy and and sell. Basically, I'm, I'm reaching out to banks for their distressed assets, the people that aren't paying on their mortgages, the commercial properties that are in distress. And we work to pick those deals up at, uh, at a fraction of value and then try to turn them around in some sort of fashion is what we like to do. Try to keep the actual borrowers in the property by uh, working on some sort of loan modification, some sort of a payment plan if, if they're willing to work with us. If not, then we try to do a short sale or a cash or keys. And then if they're just going to try to avoid us, then we go to the foreclosure route and foreclose and take the property that way. Okay, so you try to pick it up beforehand uh, while it's while it's still owned by the individual? Yeah, so I basically become the bank. So if you've ever bought a piece of prop or bought a um, house and usually about 30 days after you close on it, you get a letter that your mortgage has been sold to somebody. You know, hey, you don't have to pay us now. Now we sold your mortgage to this guy or this bank. So that's what I do. I buy the debt, become the bank or the new lender. And then our the way we make money is really trying to work out and keep them paying on time or get them start to paying on time. The fact that uh, we're buying it when they're not paying gives us the opportunity to buy that debt at a huge discount and step into the shoes bank. I mean, uh, the, uh, the bank's shoes. And then we just then are negotiating with the, 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 the property owner, the borrower in, in a variety of different fashions. And, you know, it's every day is, uh, is kind of a country Western song, as I like to say, you never know what uh, you're going to hear. And a lot, there's a lot of people out there hurting right now. We were talking briefly beforehand, but, and we love to actually keep people in their property you know, as the lend- as a new lender, that's actually where we make the most amount of money is lending instead of taking the property back and then trying to, to fix it and flip it or whatever, you know, whatever extra strategy we have. But it's the, uh, you know, that's the way I say it. we're trying to make America great again, one defaulted borrower at a time. <laughs> so a lot of people might be familiar or in the cannabis industry, they're hearing about a, a sale lease back options. So it's somewhat similar in the commercial space where uh, somebody that has assets like a rec shop, they want uh, cash, they're going to sell it and then lease it right back. So it's something very similar. Um, and then maybe people might also remember um, reverse mortgages. So can you kind of explain the differences maybe between a reverse mortgage, a sale lease back option, and then what you're doing? Yeah. So a reverse mortgage is basically you've got to, you know, those are for the elderly that usually have a lot of equity in their house. Um, their mortgages that are based on basically pulling that equity out and then turning the property basically in, into an annuity for the bar. It's not credit based, it's age based. I believe you got to be 60, uh, both parties that are on the mortgage would be 62 uh, to qualify for that. But like I said, it doesn't matter what your age base It's based on the equity of the house, how much equity you have in it. And so basically the, when you do a reverse mortgage, basically that bank is pulling that equity out and then basically paying it to the borrower on a monthly basis. Now, when the borrower passes away, um, the family has the first right to basically write a redemption to either a pay off that reverse mortgage or sell the house to, you know, or the, or the bank's going to take it back in reverse mortgage. Now on a sale lease back, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. The, the, 
the property is sold and then the new owner of the property uh, continues to lease the property to the different tenants. Now, what I do is I'm, I'm not buying the property initially. I'm just buying the mortgage that is backed by the property. So literally buying the mortgage, it's like your lender is being transferred. You know, you're, if you finance with Chase Bank and we bought the mortgage from Chase Bank, well, now instead of you paying Chase on a monthly basis or not paying, you're not paying us because we have vendors that, you know, we have a servicing company that's reaching out and say, hey, let's get you collected on time. And then you're basically, uh, when we buy that debt, it, we're buying at a discount. Doesn't mean if the borrower, you know, took out a mortgage for a hundred grand, they still owe a hundred grand. Uh, it's just that we bought that receivable at a discount to go in and we make our money by collecting on that difference. So we like to try to keep the people in the property. They still own the property. You know, their name is still on the deed. The mortgage terms have not changed unless we agree to a modification of some sort. So uh, it works well for a, a lot of our borrowers because since we didn't originate that loan, we're not on the hook for the full hundred. We may pay 50 cents of the dollar or 30 cents of the dollar. So that gives us a lot of flexibility to say, okay, Hey, I know you've been through some troubled times. You've been laid off or out of work or been shut down for a while. What can you pay? You know, you've been out, of, uh, you know, you haven't paid for six months. Let's not worry about the six months. Let's put that on the back of the loan. Or in a lot of the cases where the values of uh, real estate has dropped, okay, you're, you owed a hundred, your property's only worth 50 grand now. We picked up the APC for 20. Start paying on time for a year. And then after a year, we'll readjust the, the principal balance of the, the loan to drop it down to say 50 or 60 at that point to, to make it a win-win to really kind of dangle that carrot in front of the bar to get them to start performing because um, that's where we make the highest returns is that if they start paying on time, great, it's a beautiful thing, it's cash flow. And then after a while, we can either A, um, keep it for a good return on investment cash flow, or, or B, we could sell that note off back to banks or back to investment institutions who want a good return on their money for a performing note. What is the ratio for that? It, it, it'll vary. It depends on location, foreclosure time frames. It, I would tell you, if it's a vacant property that we're taking down and the borrowers have moved on, it's a higher uh, default rate, probably a 70 to 80% foreclosure rate. If it's occupied uh, and the bar will communicate with us, it's probably around a 60% success rate of getting them to reperform and uh, turn it from a non-performing note into a reperforming loan. And then it, you know, it just varies on, on the market. But if we'll sell, if we get somebody who's been performing for about 12 months, uh, it's about an 80 to 90% chance that we can actually sell that note off on the secondary market. So you said in the intro that you've been doing this since the Great Recession. How are people performing? What's what's your activity level now? Um, how is your portfolio now compared to then? Is it increasing? Are you, are you doing more deals? What does the market look like now versus then? That's a really great question. I get that question all the time. So starting back off in 2007, 2008, I was primarily buying the first year, two years, commercial loans and and working those out uh, and then it in 2010 once finally everything kind of hit the fan with re, uh, 2010 to 2014 it was basically 50 50 commercial 50 residential and then for the last couple of years it's been mostly residential properties residential notes as the markets have rebounded and then commercials it's been on a boom i've been saying for the last 18 months i thought commercial was overpriced and uh, we couldn't keep seeing the market increase. I mean, uh, it was we were long due for a, uh, a correction, a market correction and everything. And obviously that has happened with COVID. So uh, fortunately for most of our borrowers that were paying on time to begin with before this happened have continued to pay. Uh, we've had a few that have asked for forbearance agreements, you know, to try to stay. Uh, we had a few that were already in legal to foreclose beforehand. We've delayed that obviously on a state by state basis based on whatever uh, the, the um, you know, the foreclosure proceedings or whatever that state has 
deemed necessary to delay things 60 or 90 days. Um, what we are seeing is we haven't seen a lot of uh, residential notes come across our plate because everybody's just kind of a standstill. They're waiting for things to clear up here as they're kind of coming to the, the point of, you know, Fannie and Freddie and the government-backed agencies are all given at least a six-month forbearance agreement, and a lot of your other banks are, are following because they don't want to deal with this huge wave of foreclosures, although we're going to see it right now. Currently, uh, based on the numbers we see across the country, there's about 4.1 million borrowers that are already 90 days or late later on their mortgage. And we expect, uh, well, I expect when July's numbers come out, that number will balloon somewhere between six to eight million borrowers will be in default. Um, a lot of the economics are, are predicting another um, close to what we saw in 2010 with 15 million borrowers in default, I don't think we'll get that bad, it, it, but it's hard to say. If we have to shut down the economy again for 90 days, it's going to be another bad situation. But, uh, you know, we the, the commercial markets are the ones that are really taking it in the shorts right now. Um, in March, they lost $50 billion in value overnight because of a, everybody just stopping to pay. You know, nobody's paying. The t you know, the tenants stopped paying. And then when you look at retail, has been hit really hard. Uh, uh, you know, hospitality, hotels, motels are really the worst out there when you've got roughly one in every, you know, three to four hotels are in default. Um, you've got a lot of retail space is in default as well, one out of every five. Um, it, it's a bad situation. Now, it's a bad situation for those borrowers, but it also makes for a lot of opportunity for an investor to come and be able to pick up an asset at a significant discount because those loans on the commercial loans aren't being delayed. You know, they're not government bailouts for the commercial markets at all right now. So um, you have those type of properties, those type of loans are basically 50% are financed by big institutions, hedge funds, and the other 50, 60% of them have been financed by banks. And that's where the banks are, are really going to take a loss. Uh, it's somewhere around $50 billion as well. You look at uh, some of the numbers that came out last week, uh, Bank of America is, gonna, is expecting to lose $5.1 billion in commercial losses. Um, you know, that makes an opportunity for somebody who's looking for a property, whether it's, you know, office space they can convert or, um, you know, a hotel that they can convert to an apartment complex or looking for something that they, you know, especially warehouse space that's vacant right now might be, or in, even industrial space, while that's a little bit lower default rate, still some opportunity as the banks are really, especially as we get closer to the end of the year and the fourth quarter is always the busiest time for banks to move this stuff. Banks are going to look to start dumping this stuff and move it on to somebody else so their books look decent by the end of the year. I think we can see that uh, banks will get bailed out, but what do you think about the regulatory risk on the side of investors when individuals and companies aren't paying their rents? That's going to have a trickle down effect. Like, so that's going to have a trickle down effect. Like you mentioned, what's that going to look like? Well, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> trickle down effect. Here it is. It's basically uh, the, what the government's been doing and everything's been being delayed off here for a little bit. It's, it's going to be basically what we saw. You know, it's a big short all over again, like we saw in 2010. Banks getting bailed out in some sort of fashion. Like I said, the residential side is going to take a hit. It's just a matter of uh, trickle-down economics. The big guys, the bigger banks end up getting bailed out. The government-backed, uh, those all guys get a check from the government of some sort. It may not be as, as big as it was beforehand. But then you have the smaller institutions, because while there's a lot of banks out there, there's a lot of private institutions that were financing or, or mortgage companies that aren't banks, those are the ones that aren't gonna get bailed out. And those are the loans that are gonna get you know, sold off at a fraction of what's owed. 
Um, I guess your best example would be to look at what happened with all the TARP funds. Uh, you know, banks got bailed out with the TARP funds and then the banks that took that money really didn't use it. They were paid to basically use it to go out and, and spice up the economy and some sort of that. But they didn't use it. Bank of America, eh, they were given billions of dollars. They didn't use it. The next year, they paid all that money back to the government, but they reported record earnings that year for one reason. They were able to pick up Countrywide Mortgage, one of the largest originators of mortgage out there, for roughly 20 cents on the dollar. You know, And then the value of that, okay, suddenly we got record earnings because now after a year, we could sell some of those assets off at 70, 80, 90 cents on the dollar. Hey, we basically just got a free loan from the government to go out and make billions of dollars and, and report record earnings for the year. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna, you're gonna see a much more dramatic effect uh, on the on the commercial real estate side. Is they're expecting 50 plus percent of small businesses to fail. It's gonna hit the, the smaller mom and pa guy more than the bigger institution. A, a lot of your individual operators, property owners don't didn't have, and still don't have, larger reserves. What they have had, they've used to try to keep the lights on. Um, a lot of the property owners are having to pick the, the between, okay, do I keep somebody in the property who's not paying rent, but at least keep it occupied, keep it operating and hoping that they'll come back here, hoping that they get bailed out and they can pay me back. Or do I go ahead and, and if I can foreclose and then try to put somebody into the property, even though they expect uh, vacancy rates to be up closer to 20% and then rents across the board and commercial is going to be down another, you know, 15% by the end of the year, if not 20, 25% going into the next year. So it's, you've got to pick the, you know, the lesser of two evils for the most part. And you have to really kind of categorize every property on an individual basis based on the strength of the, bow, of the borrower, what type of business is being run into it uh, and how successful they were beforehand. And if you think they've got any reserves to, to manage it along the way, I would also be looking at that, uh, you know, the bar that business owners qualified for any of the, the PPP loans or will qualify for anything in the future. That's If that's a great thing, I would hang out and wait for your borrowers to kind of get through it. But if they don't qualify or they, you know, they, they're late to the table and they, they still haven't gotten it, you know, you, you've got to flip a coin and decide what's best for you. We also talked about opportunities. So with investors that might be listening, how can they get involved? Yeah, th th that's a really great question. I mean, the biggest thing I would be doing is if you're looking for property is, hey, start start reading up on this stuff, start finding out what's going on. There's a ton of videos on buying debt and debt investing out there. Um, you can always go to our YouTube channel at weclosenotes.tv to see a lot of the stuff that we have that we teach on this. But uh, I would read The Big Short. That's a great book to read, if not watch the movie, as a way to kind of familiarize yourself along with uh, Margin Call. That's an HBO movie that talks about what happened previously beforehand, how the banks didn't really know what they had in their books because they're looking at spreadsheets. Uh, I would start networking at your local real estate investment clubs. Most of them are probably going to be virtual right now, but there's a lot of people talking about this. Uh, a lot of investors expect us to see a wave of uh, real estate owner foreclosures. And I don't think we're going to see that for another 12 to 24 months because the banks are going to give the borrowers time to, to stay in their houses. So the, the biggest plays in the commercial space uh, and really that the market that's being overlooked that you're going to see the biggest deals is the sub five million, especially the two and a half million dollar valued property less. The banks have financed a lot of stuff, but that's too small for a big fund like Wall Street or in California, anything like that to take down. It's just not worth their time. They like the bigger deals. So that sub two and a half million dollar value property is where you're going to see the biggest deals. So start looking, um, maybe start talking to your title companies, seeing what's being filed for defaults. Uh, talk to your commercial real estate agent uh, in the local area, see what they're seeing. It may be a little too early, but you're going to start seeing 
a lot of feelers going out from banks to other institutions. So um, those are the couple sources I would go at. Um, I wouldn't walk into your local bank and say, hey, I want to buy your notes. They're not going to, they don't handle that. Usually the department handles the note sales on the residential commercial side is something called the special assets or the secondary marketing department. Um, those are two names that the banks, uh, these departments are named and they're all across the country. They're not usually in the same state or the same offices of main stuff. So it's a matter of kind of when we're tracking these uh, banks departments and it's a lot of down for dollars to get to the right department. But when we do, it can be a gold mine and deal flow for us for the next six to 12 months. What about the cannabis industry? Is that any different? Is it unique or is it basically the same principles that you're talking about? Now there's some, definitely some uh, similarities there. Um, especially we've seen actually kind of a bit of a spike over the last 12 months. Uh, some of the banks that were financing some of the stuff have been looking to get it off their books. They don't want to carry it. If we've had see, we've seen some opportunities to pick up some dispensaries or grow houses at a discount based off what was financed because the banks were just ready to kind of to move it. And I think it's going to vary depending on how difficult it is to get licensed. I know that the cannabis industry, you know, you've got to jump through so many ho hoops to have a, a legal, um, you know, legal business and it makes it difficult with licensing and taxes. So I've seen banks that have originally financed some of this stuff be looking to move it off their books because they're just like, well, they don't. Uh, don't expect the uh, the operators to be able to jump through all the hoops successfully um, to make some things happen. So that's the thing. I would start looking at the banks uh, in the local area that have financed that, some of the stuff. And that's something you're looking for. Reach out to them um, and say, hey, what do you have on your books that you're looking to get rid of? You know, a lot of them are looking to move some stuff, if not offsetting some of the bad debt they've, they've got on the commercial side by replacing it with some good debt. Um, you know, either selling, is cashing out some of these loans that might be questionable for them. Or, or raising capital by selling some of the, uh, the non-performing notes, the existing stuff. And that's the same. If you're looking for a facility, a warehouse, industrial space, look to see maybe some of the banks that finance that stuff and reaching out to them if that's something that you want to take over and convert it to a grow house or a, a manufacturing facility. Walk us through a, a particular example. What would that look like? Have you invested in the cannabis space? And if not, tell me about a particular example that you can talk about and how that might work out. I have I have not invested, but one of my good friends is in LA right now doing it on a particular property in Irvine, actually. And I'm actually sorry, LA. He lives in Irvine, but what he's doing is basically the bank sent him a, a, a portfolio of a couple um, buildings that were financed with uh, dispensaries in it. So he's looking at the numbers. The bank is willing to roughly sell it. Was willing to sell it to him at a thirty percent discount off it was owed. I think they've increased that discount to try to get it moved. So basically he's evaluated the property. He's gone by, took a look what's going on operating, actually kind of talked a little bit with the, the owner operator because he had permission to do that. Usually you're not going to have, be able to talk to the bar um, in most cases, but uh, the bank has had some of our financials beforehand. Uh, we've, you know, he's gone by to look at it, see what's going on, see the operations, see what, what can be done to boost profitability a little bit. Obviously, looking at uh, comparables on the property, what's the value of it? You know, where um, where's the borrower if the, the bar doesn't perform? Where, where, you know, where do the banks start to, the legal process to foreclose? Uh, trying to create a win-win solution to keep the, the the borrower and the operator in the building, so that he doesn't end up having to take a, a property back that he expects to be a lot of vacant property there. So it's all looking at the looking at the note, looking at all the paper, make sure everything that was filed correctly and signed correctly. 
looking at the legal process, looking at the cash flow, looking at the financial that we're providing and seeing where they're at today, and then making a decision, okay, does the discount that the bank is offering us, is that good enough for us to take this deal over so that we could get a, a good enough return on investment based on the mortgage payments now starting back up again or continue to start up again compared to what we paid? And then if they don't, are we going to get it? If we do have to foreclose based on the time to foreclose, and like, are we still going to come out with a good return on investment even after we pay for the note and the legal cost to foreclose and then to remarket the property if we need to? Yeah, and then with the cannabis business, if you're out of state, it's even more difficult because there's certain limitations like Washington State has a cap of 10%. So yep. yeah, you wouldn't want to get involved with that. So uh, yeah, you'd want to invest wisely. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, this that's, isn't that's investment advice though, right? This is just for entertainment exactly, purposes. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Always talk to your accountant or attorney. I'm not an accountant or attorney. I may have stayed a holiday and express in the past, but it doesn't mean I'm one here. So as always, yes, speak with your legal counsel and talk with them to, to make sure that whatever your, your entertainment is, you, you're getting the right information. I, I will tell you this, that everybody is in the debt space. You know, everybody's in the mortgage space already. It's just that unfortunately, that if you've got a mortgage, a car payment, student loan, debt, credit cards, you own, you know, owe something to your parents, you got to pay them on a monthly basis. You, you're in the note space. You just have money going out versus coming in. And the banks are the biggest institutions because they understand the power of paper, the power of mortgage debt and lever leveraging. And that's why they, A, they're paying you 0.1% or 0.01% on a savings account, but they're taking that money out and leveraging it and lending it at, you know, 5%, 10, 19% of credit cards because they're leveraging and comp using compound interest uh, in favor of them. You can do the same thing. There's a lot of banks that will sell one-off notes. And a lot of people believe that you've got to have 5 million or 10 million bucks to go, buy, go out and buy mortgages from banks. Now, that's not the case. There's thousands and thousands of banks out there that will sell you a one-off note, uh, especially on the commercial side. On the residential side, you're not going to go to Bank of America, Chase, City, Wells Fargo and say, hey, I want to buy a note on this one property. Not going to happen. Um, they usually want you to have a $50 million portfolio to buy. But there are a lot of smaller regional banks, smaller uh regional lending institutions that'll have a portfolio. What you gotta realize is that the, the country, we've gone from a, a 2.6 default rate across the country to roughly just under 8%. We've tripled our default rate. It's going to get worse the longer people are out of work. And eventually you can't kick the can down the road. You can't have a mentality of pretend and extend with the market being crazy like it is. So um, it's the best time and the bank always wins. You know, the pen is definitely mightier than the hammer in a lot of cases for the paper side of things, but you're going to see defaults. And the best thing that I want, you know, if you're a real estate investor listening to this, look for paper, go out and find it. Cause you can often find a lot of great deals, six to 12 to 24 months ahead of your traditional foreclosure buyers or your foreclosure, your investors looking for foreclosure deals. And we see a lot of deals that never end up, making it to the open market because we're one of just a few people that the bank is sending these lists of uh, distressed debt out to on a quarterly basis that we can cherry pick. We can go back and forth. Um, you know, marketing is always a big thing for real estate investors. We don't do any type of direct mail marketing. It's all basically, if you've got a phone and you can jump on LinkedIn, you can often find plenty of asset managers at different banks across the country that can send you, you know, a list of what they've got in their books. Every bank has distressed debt out there. And we actually, you're, you talked about being in the Seattle market up there. Seattle's obviously taking a big hit in uh, unemployment rates, default rates. 
are popping up across that neck of the woods. Uh, I hope the numbers are better with the July being just around the corner here than they were here in June. Or <clears throat> the July numbers come out since August is just around the corner here. Uh, but you're gonna see that. And you can look at stuff in just your, your local states, you, or you can start looking at stuff across the country. Um, you know, if you're in the cannabis industry, hey, you're looking for some commercial space. And like I said before, there's a glutton of it about to hit the market um, or that are on the bank's portfolios they're looking to get rid of. We actually uh, pull up the list of uh, a quarter, we'll get a, a list sent to us every quarter from a financial institution called Bauer Financial, but they evaluate all the banks and credit unions out there. And one of the most interesting things that we found, let me pull this up here because it's, it's I think your, your listeners and you, maybe you'll love it, is that uh, it was interesting to see and there's thousands of banks that are actually in the Seattle and, and California markets and stuff like that. But if you look at, uh, where's my Seattle presentation here? It's, it's just, it's a phenomenal number of things happening up there. If you look at the, some of the banks that are struggling, there's a lot of banks that obviously have distressed debt there. When we look at the banks that are basically based in, uh, up in that neck of the woods, not just banks that are lending in the neck of the woods, Banks that are actually based here is one of the best things that we do is looking at, okay, and we can actually identify banks that have a, a higher ratio or a higher amount of distressed debt locally. So I'll give you some names here. Uh, um, if you look at Home Street Bank up in the neck of the woods, has 78 branches. They've got roughly right now uh, just under $47 million in single family loans that are 90 days plus uh, plus do so they're basically at least three months or later they've got at least double to triple that in their commercial loan space and then if you also look at washington federal they currently have 235 branches in their network they've got 26 million in, def in defaults where their borrowers at least 90 days behind in their homes and then triple that if not more on the commercial space side of things so that's the thing and if you look at the 20 banks that are based just in washington state alone that those 20 banks have over 238 million in distressed residential and commercial loans on their portfolio. Roughly about 20, you know, um, just ridiculous amount, over 20, uh, roughly about 12 million each. So banks have stuff that's on their books they're looking to get rid of. Don't let them tell you they don't because every bank does. It's just a matter of getting to the right person inside the banks that can make the decision to let it go and actually just acting like you know what the heck you're talking about. You don't have to have a lot of experience if you know what you're talking about, and especially the banks uh, are, are more curious that you have a team to help you out with it. And the team in the debt space is having a servicing company, having real estate attorneys that can help you out with that and having just kind of a, a, a some sort of um, background in real estate uh, to begin with. So you're not really just stepping on your toes to go out and uh, give the bank a black eye um, because they sold you a loan that you couldn't take care of. Yeah, it's a good recommendation. All right. Well, I think with that, we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Scott Carson. Go ahead and state your name and how people can get a hold of you. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Scott Carson, you can get a hold of me by going to weclosenotes.com. It's my main website. And always drop me an email at scott at weclosenotes.com. If you're interested, I'm glad to send you a copy of my book. You can download it in three pages. Easy read, how to buy real estate for 40% off or greater, how to jump in the world of notes by going to. Just drop me an email, scott at weclosenotes.com, and we'll send you a free copy of it. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.
Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canna Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.